0: And welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Emily Gregg.
1: And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Today we have George Vineyard Chair in Biophysics at the University of Missouri-Columbia and the Shanderna Sturkey Chair in Theoretical Physics at Clarkson University, where he's also Scientific Director of the Shipley Innovation Center. We'd like to welcome Dr. Gabor Fragasas. Thank you,
2: All right, it's great to be here.
1: So we know um, that your early training was as a physicist at the Ronald um, Iovos University in Budapest, Hungary, where you obtained a degree in biology. We were wondering if you could s- start off I, I'm sorry, were you also obtained a degree in biology? No. No,
2: No. I, 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 I got a degree in physics, in theoretical physics from the Roland Edwish University in Hungary, and I did my biology training already here in this country. Ah, oh, um, gotcha. I, I I was a physicist for purely in physics for over 15 years. I I didn't know that I would uh, one day I would venture into the life sciences. I always liked life sciences, or I married Mm. a doctor, (laughs) Uh, but it was not my intention. And uh, you know, serendipity and other factors uh, made me want to to get a deeper dive into the life sciences, more systematic. And so I picked up biology already uh, when I was a, a. I think I was an associate professor already. And then I went back to school and I get my, got my degree. But that was at Clarkson University, which you mentioned, where I, I, I have that chaired position.
1: Ah, great. So could you speak a little bit as to why you ended up then pursuing a degree in, in biology mm-hmm. and how that's
2: influenced your, your career? Okay, so well then we have to go back to high school. And uh, in high school, I probably was the best in biology in in my class. Uh, But here we are in the last uh, grade, Uh, we're 18, close to 18, we're thinking about going to university. And in the biology class, we studied embryonic development. And the lady who was our instructor, the teacher, she had access to instructional material at the medical university. And one day, she brought in a fetus, an aborted fetus, and I, I couldn't take it. I had to excuse myself. I just couldn't have the visual. The visual f- things just made me so upset that I, I, I realized that maybe this is not for me to mm-hmm. be a doctor because that's what I wanted to be. So initially, I wanted to be a medical doctor. I even applied to the medical school. And upon this encounter, I withdrew my application. And I, I, I liked physics very much, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to pick up physics, and then that was my second choice, and so that's how I went into physics. And then I became a theoretical physicist, but it was always in the back of my mind, this, the, the, the love of li- life sciences. As I said, I, I, I married a medical doctor. And um, so here I am in the U.S. already, very early 90s, and the friend of mine, well, actually, no, late '80s. And a friend of mine, a biologist, calls, and he says, a, 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 an interesting biologist because he he always uh, used physical ideas, physics ideas. And he tells Gabor, "Can you down down to my lab? I think we we see something working with cells that that I think it has something to do with the physics that you're you're researching now." Said, so, "Okay." So I went down. And lo and behold, I had one of the most wonderful days of my scientific career. I just enjoyed tremendously talking to those people. They understood what I was talking about, which was very rare. (laughs) Um, And I understood, to some extent, what they were saying because those were special biologists already there, very rare breed uh, in the the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And so I just got so excited, said, wow, here I am again in the life sciences, and you know, it's, it's history now, but I decided to go back uh, to school and I was, of course, teaching and I was doing my physics research, but I went back and I, I eventually did four years of biology. And, and from there on, there was no way back. Uh, yeah. Then on paper, I was a, a biophysicist or a biological physicist, and there was an era where nobody wanted to talk to me. Physicists said that you are a traitor Uh, Biologists, eh, yeah, you're still a physicist, so we don't want to talk to you because we don't understand what the hell you're talking (laughs) about. And so eventually I was very lucky because I I hooked up with a a very famous and very progressive biologist at Princeton University by the name of Malcolm Steinberg. He was a developmental biologist. Unfortunately, he's dead now. And I spent uh, time in his lab, and he was already using physics ideas in his research in early developmental biology. And that's the most spectacular part for me of biology because when, you know, embryo starts developing, really the changes that take place and imagine from that little sphere what we are now and who we look like, it's fantastic. And, And indeed there is a lot of physics and so uh, it just captivated me to the extent that I decided this is what I want to do, and so that's how I started, and uh, and and and, yeah. and and that's how I got. Well, then the rest is history. Yeah. That and then, right. and then tissue engineering, and but but it's only from there. It's everything was dictated by my love of of early developmental biology. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's an amazing story. That, that's exciting. Yeah. So so let's let's dive into some other uh, areas. So. so
0: yeah, so it sounds like this training provided a really solid foundation for you being one of the scientific founders of Organovo, mm-hmm. um, a bioprinting company. Um, so you sor- can you sort of talk about that experience and how founding that innovative company has sort of you know, progressed the area of 3D printing?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it is true that, that so the science that we developed, and now we jump because this was happening at the University of Missouri, um, where I was invited to start develop a biological physics core within the within the, de- the department and and it was it was nice there were six, seven uh, faculty members who were exclusively doing biological physics. And so um, we did not I am not a businessman I never thought of, of starting a business but my son is mm. and and he also, was very good in biology and he uh, adored life sciences and we talked a lot. Mm-hmm. And then hmm. we talked. And then he brought in some of his friends from the business world, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, and then we talked more. And mm-hmm. so we regularly started from, from 2003, I think. Every Sunday we had uh, uh, a discussion about what is going on and, and they were very much interested in, in what is going on in my lab. What are the outstanding scientific uh, uh, issues? And so, again, let's speed things up. Uh, Friends brought other friends, and so there was a core of four people, and then somebody just at some point just said, hey, we should start a company. And we started the company, the four of us. So I am the oldie with the science, um, and then there are basically three business people. And one of them, uh, at the time, uh, worked for Amgen. He was already at uh, higher level management. He's still the CEO of Organovo. And he said at the time that, yes, I am willing to give up my job and do this full time. No, none of us at that time, other than him, was, was willing to take that risk. Wow. And so by now, uh, two of the four founders, are working full-time through Organovo, and the other two are running another company.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you just maybe explain to our listeners a little bit more about the bioprinting process?
2: So, so uh, it's, um, graduate students will understand uh, what, I, what I'm going to say. So we were working, again, we wanted to understand certain things from developmental biology, but we were using biophysical means and one of the, the, the objects we were working with were spherical aggregates. And we were studying their uh, fusion, how they behave when they are put together, and we started building bigger structures by hand. And that was very, very tedious. <laughs> sure. And so-
1: I remember the, my graduate student days of pipetting. Pipetting. And then the multi pipette and, and then multi well, oh, That was already my a big life. Yes. <laughs>
2: But it still was very, very painful to do Mm -hmm. all those bigger structures because you were talking about pipetting cells, right? We were building bigger structures, and it was very painful. And then we learned that, yeah, there are three-dimensional printers out there. So why not then? And then the truth of the matter is that we were not the first one. This Thomas Boland from Clemson University uh, early 2000, he, uh, he came up with an idea, he transformed an old Hewlett-Packard uh, uh, inkjet printer into a three-dimensional printer and started printing individual cells. Our problem was that we, we didn't work with individual cells, we were working with aggregates of cells. And uh, inkjet printer for us was not, was not the way to go. And so we came up with uh, what's today called the ex- extrusion bioprinter, and, and uh, uh, this institute has, has a number of those. Wonderful machines, by the way, very impressive. And so uh, we hooked up with, a, with an industrial firm by the name of Cyperio, and they built or transformed one of their three-dimensional printers, which was used for something totally different, nothing to do with life sciences, uh, into a printer that could accommodate cellular material. And then that was the, that was a printer, and so when Organovo came about at the early stage, um, the company was was producing printers. but then it turned out that others can do it much better so um, organovo is making printers for for itself for mm-hmm. the, for, for for internal use, mm-hmm. but not for for making a living out mm-hmm. of uh, um, ma- manufacturing and then commercializing the printers themselves
0: and what are some of the applications for the 3d printer some of the real life applications
2: well okay so we have to make here a, 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 a very important distinction um there is three-dimensional printing and there is bioprinting mm-hmm. three-dimensional printing is all over the place you open a tap and three-dimensional printing is flowing out anything from uh, cookies to chocolate dwarfs and, 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 of course, much more important uh, uh, objects like parts of airplanes and so forth, houses. Um, so that's one thing, but that has nothing to do with cells, with animate material. If you talk about printing living cells, the printer is a tool. It makes your life much easier because you don't have to build everything by, by, by hand. It, it is reproducible, it's accurate, it is three dimensional, blah, 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 blah. But it is still a tool. You print something, that's not the end of the story. Whereas if you print something like a, a, a tail of an airplane, you print it and that's it, that's the product. Here it is not. You have to mature that that biological structure that comes out from the printer because it's not yet ready for any application, and so bio- biology kicks in. You can't shuffle uh, biology under the rug, and and so that's the very big difference that unfortunately many people don't realize how big a difference there is between three-dimensional printing per se, and and what what we are trying to do in particular this institution. So the applications are of course. Uh, I mean, the sky is just the limit. Uh, that's another question when we're going to get there. But mm-hmm. even today, already, there are applications, and, and of course, I'm biased. I will uh, uh, quote what I know about what Organovo is doing. So, uh, those products or, 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 or objects that come out of the, the bioprinter and then are matured. Those are three-dimensional biological structures, extended biological structures, little tissues, little organs, organoids, and and they can be used for developing drugs, testing toxicity of the drugs, um, studying uh, uh, disease models in a much more realistic, under much more realistic conditions, which is three-dimensionality. You can put many cell types together, as it is in our body. You can then build specific, specific, specific tissues like liver, and this is what, what Organova did. A number of pharmaceutical companies are already using liver, liver being the most in prototypical uh, uh, tissue to, to, to test uh, drug toxicity, and, 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 and that's a product. So that's so, one so with application. So
1: experience, when do you see or do you see this completely uh, eliminating the need for animal models in, in drug discovery? Will we always need um, a fully, you know, cooked biological system to test out how a drug? Or will we be able to put all of these different organoid systems together in, you know, body on a chip and pharmaceutical companies... Could potentially have that at the at their disposal to look at um, drug interactions. They could also do, pave the way for personalized medicine and Absolutely. and titrate a drug specific for that particular patient.
2: Well, I am a born optimist, and I would say yes, this mm-hmm. will happen. Uh, I I will not predict when it's going to happen because the the obstacles are are. F- out there, and the, uh, the, the, the challenges are astronomical. Uh, it's one thing to print a little piece of liver tissue, even if it is uh, architecturally correct, even if it is physiologically correct in a sense that it does what such a piece of t- tissue should be doing in a, in, a, in a living organism. That's one thing. Then um, uh, it may not kill the liver, that drug, but it may kill the kidney. So you want to develop the same thing for kidney. Then you want to cu- couple those uh, organ models uh, of organs, so that you approach, you start building a model organism, and that's what is happening in the organ on the chip, or that what's what's happening with Organovo, where where you you start combining uh, the, the printed structures, but then you still don't have the immune system, you don't still you don't have the nervous system, all that will eventually will. Be Will need to be put in, yeah. and it's only then that the FDA will say, "Okay, well, this one, this this product is is in every respect, perhaps, is equivalent to 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 an animal uh, model, and and or even better, because we can make everything from human cells. We know yeah. animal models are good for something, but they are terrible for other things. Um, so I think the Science is is developing so rapidly that nobody with good conscience can say when this is going to happen, what you asked, whether we can really replace animal trials. But first of all, there is the ethical desire to eliminate animal trials. I very much hope that this activity, and there are now great institutions involved in it and companies, eventually we will get there that we will be able to eliminate animal trials and and moreover we're gonna get to the to the, the most beautiful uh, um, uh, patient-tailored drug developmental exactly, setup and, 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 and process. not have the
1: pharmaceutical industry waste billions and billions of dollars on <laughs> um, therapies that they find very late stage are, are just don't w- don't work, don't work. Or, absolutely or you're issues. absolutely
2: I mean, it's, yeah, it's $2 billion, about $2 billion today to bring a drug to a market, mm. to the market. Yeah. $2 billion. And, and then because, of course, this, 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 this amount of money, of course, also includes the, <laughs> the potential possibility that the drug won't work. Yeah. And many of them don't. Yeah. Right.
1: So I wanted to transition a little bit. We know you're founder and chief scientific officer of Modern Meadow, Mm -hmm. and this is a unique company that's reimagining bioprinting to provide animal-free substitutes. Um, We're actually looking at a a few videos um, online, and and it's pretty remarkable. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this concept. And I mean, one of the things that's showcased on that website um, is being able to essentially re-engineer cells Mm-hmm. To produce collagen, mm-hmm. to make some type of skin product that can then be tanned, and you now have a bioengineered leather that's mm-hmm. animal-free. Um, right. That is incredible. Like, uh, how did you come up with um, uh, with that? Okay,
2: we have this bioprinting technology which we developed, and and we we founded Organovo, and everything was going well. Now I'm still in academia, and uh, of course. No, you're very happy because I think it's the dream of a scientist to see that something that he's been working on eventually gets translated and, and hopefully will be useful uh, for for many, many people. But still, you want to see, okay, so what else can we do with that? And so here we are, we can make medical grade tissues. Well, what else can we do? Uh, that's not necessarily medical grade, right? Even Even simpler. And so then the idea came up first that, oh, we're going to print meat. The same naive idea, I have to say, uh, that came up when we started the, the whole bioprinting at over. Wow, we're going to print a heart. We're going to print a kidney. And then you come down from the high horse and, of course, you become very modest. And then you realize that you, you've been talking nonsense because, because that's just so difficult that uh, uh, when you're enthusiastic, you just don't realize how difficult it is, and, and we're very far from printing a, a full organ. So, but anyway, so, so we, we asked ourselves the question, what else can we do with this technology? And, um, and uh, I had a discussion with a, with a, with a Dutch scientist um, by the name of Mark Post, who is famed by developing the first hamburger, that um, uh, using animal cells, Wasn't which that, was like eaten in. a $100,000 hamburger? It was a <laughs> 300,000 euros <laughs> hamburger, which <laughs> was consumed in London in 2013. Well, um, uh, it's now apparently che- is cheaper. <laughs> but anyway, um, to make the long story short, we thought we can use then, then the uh, bioprinting technology to print a hamburger. And, and then if we can make a hamburger, then, well, maybe we can do leather. That's also a very simple planar structure. And so it's much simpler than, than, um, than, than building a tissue with very complicated internal structure. Um, so that's how the idea of modern meadow came up. And at the start, indeed, we used the bioprinter and we were uh, hoping that we're gonna feed the entire world, just as with Organo, with, we, we thought we're gonna make people live forever. So, and then, you know, if when you are in a company setting, you have to be realistic. You can't just sell, you know, you, you, live, you live out of the investors, not, not from grants, investors and those are even more difficult to convince to give you money than the granting agencies and so you have to be realistic so again to make the long story short uh, number one bioprinting is not the only uh, technology by which such relatively simple structures than than a a flat piece of sheet meat or 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 leather can be produced so yes uh, modern metal obviously uh, uh, was prededicated on the bioprinting technology, uh, but that's not the only technology that, that the company yeah. is using. So this is one thing I wanted to say. The second is that uh, a company eventually has to be profitable. We decided that the meat product is going to be relegated to the back burner, to the backstage, because that's not, we don't feel that at the present, we can produce it at the price point, which would allow this company to be financially viable or economically viable. So, Modern Meadow is concentrating, focusing at this point on leather, making leather. And uh, I will not tell you uh, the secrets how we make it, <laughs> but but we're making great progress, and this is what I would say. Is tissue for, for me? This is the manifestation or the application of tissue engineering beyond regenerative medicine. Mm. Because tissue engineering is associated with regenerative medicine. The word term is the, the, the society, right? It's tissue engineering, yep. re- regenerative medicine. But that's not the only thing. We, 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 making meat or, or, or leather, that, that uses cells and requires engineering, and, but, but it's simpler because, because leather you don't need skin to make leather. Mm-hmm. And that's something, it's a novel idea. And, and, and some people will be sure, oh, come on, we're pulling the skin of the animal. That's called the hide. And we tan it, and then eventually we, we get the leather. But by the time you get the tan leather, 90% of what it, you started with, the tissue, the skin tissue, is gone. Leather is nothing else than a stabilized... Collagen structure, collagen being the most uh, popular protein in the in in living organism. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So why bother? Why start with a complicated object like, like skin? Mm-hmm. Why not try to just produce what is needed for, for, for leather? And that's the philosophy by which Modern Meadow is operating. And um, it's great fun. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's just as fun as, as, as Organova was or is. Uh, and it's something else. You push your, your knowledge, your technology beyond what is out there. Yeah. And this is what I always wanted to do.
1: I know you mentioned that the food area was was going to be put on the back burner, mm-hmm. but we know that that you're also very passionate about sustainability. And uh, as the world population grows, being able to bioengineer and and have a bioengineered meat source um, may be what is needed to decrease greenhouse emissions and and things like that.
2: Sustainability, of course, is something that I I definitely want to continue to champion. Uh, But leather is also one of those uh, uh, products that pollutes the environment. It still needs animals, uh, at least traditional uh, industry. And so it's just as a pollutant as, 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 as the process by which we, we get the meat because the two are related to each other. Some people would say that leather is the, is the byproduct of the meat industry, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. others would, would contest, but anyway. And, and so yes, so I feel very strongly about it and, 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 and our activity is still very much dictated by our desire to be very sustainable. Now, if you push me on the meat side, because you wanna feed people, not only to dress them in fancy leather products. Um, uh, How I see that, first of all, there are companies that are continuing with the the post project that is making, trying to engineer meat using animal cells. That is out there. Uh, I don't know if they are going to be successful as company, as a beautiful academic project, but I'm not sure that it is economically viable at this point that's one thing, so that continues. Uh, the second thing is that there are also companies out there that make meat-like product, product, products. So there's a company called Impossible Meat that produced a hamburger uh, that looks like a bloody hamburger even though everything is made out of plant material. So they were able to, 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 to build in uh, a, a mechanism by which there is a, a blood substance. Team proteins, and and so, it apparently is a very very good product, and, and and even chefs were not able to distinguish between that and a real hamburger. Wow, oh, yeah. there are there is Beyond Meat. It's yet yet another company that is started out with making chicken-like products, and. Uh, I think uh, I, I tasted at the beginning of the company's uh, existence. <laughs> uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, I know it because the uh, the person who developed it uh, was my colleague at the University of Missouri. So it was his idea, but now it's a company. And, and, and I was told that it's also very good. Now, so vegetarian approach, but it, it it at some point maybe it's indistinguishable from the animal product. That's another avenue that that I think we should pursue. Not everybody's going to be a vegetarian. But even if half of the population is, we're 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 making big steps towards towards sustainability. So there are signs there. There are attempts there. There are companies out there that moving in this direction that yes, we're going to feed mankind at a cheaper um well, as far as sustainability capital is concerned, we're going to spend less uh, uh, waste, yeah. uh, less. So, so it's there, and and it, it will come just the same way as <coughs> the organ on the chip is going to, or the body on the chip is going yeah. to come.
0: Great. Yeah, so just sort of to wrap up, um, you know, we were looking at some of your pretty high-profile talks, such as TEDMED, um, and you're actually in town to um, be one of the speakers at the Biofabrication 2016 conference. Um, so can you sort of tell our listeners um, about some of the exciting work that you're going to be discussing this weekend?
1: Okay, uh, I think. We <coughs> promise we won't post this before tomorrow. No, but, but,
2: but <laughs> well, I'm not gonna give you my slides. that's for sure, uh, but, but again, jokes aside, so, so this activity, this bioprinting activity started in the early 2000s, right? Thomas Boland was the pioneer. I think we contributed uh, significantly with developing the, the extrusion bioprinting technology. Uh, so we've been there from the beginning the start and so I, I really feel that uh my role here is uh to convey first of all to to give some kind of a review about where it started from and where it is today and where probably and hopefully is going to get in the in the future that's one thing that i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna say but i am i i am me mm-hmm. And so, obviously, I will more concentrate on the technology that we developed. And there, I want to make sure that people understand that it's not like you push a button on a printer and then you produce something, uh, an organ or something like that. Because I still get questions. Oh, so when, I, when can I get a heart? Or when right. can I get a kidney? And that's just blatantly wrong. Now, people who are going to be at the conference, of course, I'm preaching to the wrong crowd because uh, those people are, are here and they know what it is. But I don't think everybody knows what is the science that preceded all this. Yeah. And that's something that I'm very proud of. And this is what I also would like to present to people.
1: One of the things that you brought up, though, is managing expectations. And I think that's an important role that scientists have to do is how do you you're obviously very passionate about this work so how do you um, still provide that enthusiasm and optimism towards the technology but ensure that uh, in particular lay audience knows and understands look this is where we could be but this is where we are right now and, and managing those expectations so people aren't expecting oh I'm gonna go in and get a new heart in you know five years that that's most likely not going to, to to be the case, and and I think that's a, a challenge. Is, is how do you make that balance? Because you want, you need investors to believe in you, mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. in order to move this forward. You need to be able to take those risks, mm-hmm. to, and if you're not doing them, then we're not going to make progress. Um, so you have to believe in yourself in, in in one capacity, but you have to manage these expectations on the other, and not give people f- false hope.
2: Excellent question. It's really an excellent question, and it's a very difficult one, exactly for the reasons that you you, you list reasons that you listed, because of course you're proud of what you have done, you're enthusiastic about your scientific uh, accomplishments and 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 y- you just want that out, and you want to infest people <laughs> with the enthusiasm that you have yeah. but um and 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 Scientists are, I think, fundamentally enthusiastic people, but they are not necessarily the best communicators. Yeah. And they may convey their own enthusiasm in a, in a way that people get the false uh, get false expectations. So how do you balance? There's always hype. There's always hype, unfortunately, even in science, there is hype. Uh, the world is competitive to a, a ridiculous degree we have to make a living applying for grants, getting grants, there is a natural tendency that you manicure a little bit what you say. I mean, there are people who do it in, a, in an unethical way, but I think everybody does it a little bit. I think it's a natural human uh, nature, uh, the consequence of that. So that's why I, I will tell you, I, I sometimes I have given interviews and then when I, when I, when I realized, I, I looked back and then I listened to the interview, I said, holy cow, is, is this me? I mean, <laughs> I, can, I could see that I, 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 what I said could be perceived as uh, expectation for something that is not realistic. Mm-hmm. So it's a very difficult question. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that, mm-hmm. uh, even now. I, I think I learned, and being in a company, it helps because there are very strict rules what yeah. you can talk about and what not so that helps but it's not easy yeah.
0: sure
1: well thank you so much you really welcome. appreciated this um yeah. this a fabulous uh, podcast and um, really exciting area so thanks thank you that's all for this episode be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine
0: This podcast is a production of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WFIRM News.